You're listening to the Teaching Orchestra Podcast, a new place to hear from today's orchestra teachers teaching today's orchestra kids. I'm Janet. And I'm Jessica. We share our successes, struggles, and solutions working with the next generation of string musicians. And lift up our colleagues' voices from across the country. Why be an island anymore? Join Join us. Welcome back. Our episode today is Games for Group Instruction. Today we're going to be talking about some fun orchestra class games that are either for fun or to help your students understand concepts better or both. In our last episode, we discussed tips and tricks, but we saved the most quote-unquote gamified things for this episode. Look at us, Jessica, using everyone's favorite educational buzzword, (laughs) gamify. So um, here's how we're going to break today's episode down. First thing we'll do is talk about general shenanigans, which are quick hitter, fun games that get your students amped up and excited. After that, we'll talk about games that are secretly assessment tools. Your students will never know it's an assessment. Mm. (laughs) We'll also bring in some quick rehearsal remix ideas, just ways to mix up the sometimes repetitive nature of what we do just to keep it fun. Then we'll real talk it up and give the why of the games in the orchestra setting and how non-traditional games keeps what we do relevant for today's diverse learners. And Jessica, to that, I'm super excited for your real talk because of your great sort of long game tool that you're going to share with us at the end. So we'll save that for the end. For now, let's move on to general shenanigans. So in thinking about games and gamification, I did a little bit of research and one reason that gamification in education is super effective is because it gives students freedom to fail. And this was in an article titled Analysis of Gamification Education. I'll link in the show notes. The freedom to fail sort of gives kids an opportunity to make a mistake and have fun with it, right? So a quote directly from the article is the following. Game design often encourages players to experiment without fear of causing irreversible damage by giving them multiple lives or allowing them to start again at the most recent checkpoint. Incorporating this freedom to fail in the classroom design is noted to be an effective dynamic in increasing student engagement. And that's exactly what we do, Jessica. When we play games, we laugh about it if we drop our bows and have to start over. And failing at a game is a good-natured sort of way to be like, oh, well, that other team failed less than you, so therefore they won. <laughs> That's sort of how it works, right? And um, to that, I'm going to talk a little bit um, about something we did at the high school in the fall and then at the middle school this winter. It was an Olympic year, you know, Winter Olympics of 2022. We did something called Orchestra Olympics, and this was a really fun game. We kind of like took some Olympic events and made them into orchestra events. First, we did a speedy scale relay so break the class into teams choose four people from each team that each have to play a two octave g or d scale up and down and when they finish that they tap the person next to them the next person plays a two octave scale tap the next person so it's a relay so the first team that finishes wins then we did something called a fingerboard long jump and then we changed it to fingerboard luge for the winter olympics where each student on the team slid up and down the length of the fingerboard like a glissando and then tap the person next to them. The first team to get everyone to do that glissando was the winner, right? One way that worked really well at the high school was the ear training hurdles. Each team had to figure out the uh, tune to the Olympic theme song, starting on F sharp, so it's in the key of D. Bow hold sprints, you probably do this with your littles, Jessica, like the spider crawl up and down we talked about in the last episode. That can be a relay game. And finally, the bow hold relay. This is like past the baton. 
sort of thing. You take a paper cup and you put it on the cup to the next person on their team. It can get a little <laughs> out of control because kids tend to weave their bows together and get them stuck, but it's all in good fun. And I actually, after we did this activity at our high school and middle school, we found this choice board of Orchestra Olympics on um, the School Orchestra String Teacher Facebook page. I'll link that cool choice board in the show notes as well. So lots of game options that are sort of Olympic themed can really help your students have fun and feel free to fail. And one offshoot I've done with beginners too is balloon pop-ups where everyone gets their own balloon and have to keep it up with the tip of their bow while maintaining their bow hold. Of course, with young kids, this can degenerate quickly into sword fighting <laughs> or just popping the balloon up with a fist bow hold, which I affectionately call caveman bow hold or maybe cave person or cave human. <laughs> <Jessica>. <laughs> but it draws attention to the specific technique in the form of a game, and I definitely call them out if they deviate from that bow hold. And speaking of, I like to call the bow thumb of the bow hold texting thumb or video game thumb. I think it came from the school orchestra Facebook page, but I've stolen so many ideas from places over the years that I really can't keep it straight. <laughs> Same girl. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so we're going to go right into some other group games that are super engaging, ones that I play regularly. And again, I just want to emphasize, like, these are things that we do regularly in class. These aren't just ideas. These are tried and true. So now we will continue with other group games that we play regularly in class. The game Poison Pattern is like Simon says for orchestra. It's an echo game where a poison pattern is established at the start of the game, something recognizable and relatively easy for beginners, but can be scaled up for more advanced players. And if a student accidentally echoes this poison pattern, they are out. Even if they just start to play, they're out. You can start with just rhythmic patterns on open strings for beginners and graduate to multi-note patterns for more of a challenge. Other students can also be the leader, especially if you have a kid who's taken violin lessons since they were four. We get those sometimes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, poison Pattern, this echo type game is very popular in Kodai classrooms. So if you are using Kodai methodology, you could alternate this game and use it on solfege, right? The solfege of the notation that you're, is the poison, quote unquote, on the board. Very popular with the choral bunch. Mm-hmm. Another game is called Hide the Rosin. It's basically a game of hot and cold. One student is the rosin finder and goes into the hall, and another is the hider. The class watches silently as the hider hides a real cake of rosin, very important, <laughs> somewhere in the room and goes back to their seat. The finder is invited back to find the rosin based on how loud or soft the class is playing. And beginners can pick whatever string they want. It's I really don't care as long as they're trying. And older kids could be assigned a note of a chord, but regardless, a technical discussion can be had on how to control the bow's volume. For beginners, volume is best explained, in my opinion, visually, where I use a little bit of bow at the tip for quiet and lots of bow for loud. But for the more advanced, I've used the metaphor of bow lanes for speed and pressure. Hmm. So soltasto, or over the fingerboard, is the fast lane using high speed, but low weight. Those were, that's where these sports cars go. The home of tone is medium speed and weight, 
and the slow truck lane is low speed and heavyweight, and that's Sul Ponticello, kind of where the semis go. <laughs> when a student is hot, 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 kids switch to tremolo or trembling bow, and it's a game that kids are just always asking for more of, so super I popular. Bet. Yeah, that's super fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, another game is the posture doctor, where a few kids each day can be posture doctors of the class, inspecting anything from a bow hold to left hand, a body posture. I've even had them go as specific as inspecting bow thumbs. They can like poke their back if their back is at the oh, back of the chair. Oh, that's awesome. And like, <laughs> oh, 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 or like sticking it under their arm to make sure their arm isn't glued to the side of their body. Yeah. Know your audience, I guess. I know. And then they bow to use the weapon. Uh, I, I think it's effective. That could be really fun if you choose the right kid. Again, <laughs> make sure you have rapport with your students <laughs> yes, first. Yes, exactly. Another great thing that I've done with my students is something I call the Orchestra Wheel of Destiny. Um, it's an online tool I found where you can fill in the things on a wheel and it's like a virtual spinning wheel and it lands like, like Wheel of Fortune style. So I've added fun challenges to that template such as play with reverse hands or play this excerpt with the bow held upside down. My favorite, or actually the student's favorite, is trade instruments or hold your instrument like a cello if you're a violinist or play standing on one foot. Another one that's very popular is double speed, like pick up the tempo to twice the speed. So you spin the wheel and watch the craziness play out. Yeah, it's super fun. I know. This can also be used for less crazy things, such as practice strategies, which Jessica, you've done a nice job writing up great practice strategies. Totally stole those and inserted them into a wheel of destiny. So in the show notes, I'm going to link what I call the fun wheel of destiny, the game one. And then I'm going to link also the slightly more serious practice strategies wheel. And from there, you can make your own templates for things that are applicable to your own students. Super cool. And you know, you just reminded me of something that I do with beginners and middle schoolers when you said the backwards thing. And this isn't really a game, but it's certainly entertaining, which is play the instrument backwards to show them how much they've learned hmm. since they picked up the instrument for the first time. And you know it's hard to convey their progress into something that they can really understand. So this is the best thing that I've found so far that transports them back to those first steps for a quick comparison to where they are now because if you've ever tried that it's oh like it's a disaster impossible <laughs> i mean watching an entire class of students do the trade arms thing is horrific to listen to and uh, barks behind their eyes be like oh this is what it was like when i started is is pretty right. encouraging yeah mm -hmm. another thing i do and i stole this from your my former colleague and your current colleague gina Woo! shout out to gina it's a board game that i think they stopped producing in the 90s it's called encore that's the name of the board game and um it's not instrument playing so this is a little bit of a diversion, but it's a great community building tool. Encore the board game is meant to be a series of cards and the card has a word on it and you break into teams and you try to think of as many songs as possible that have that word in the lyrics. It's a really great musical team building inclusion activity. It gets your students singing and getting more comfortable with each other musically. And I'd like to think that that comfort sort of expands to playing their instruments in that mm -hmm. way as well. Another board game that can be extended to the classroom is called Orchestras Are Awful, <laughs> which is a spoof on Cards Against Humanity. There's also like a not safe for work version, but there's <laughs> the, the original version is for ages 14 and up. So to me, this is very much a high school level game. 
sort of plays upon the stereotypes of a violinist versus a violist. Fun to play as a class, usually before like a holiday break or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking of things to do before holiday break, there's also the more obvious classroom games like Kahoot, quizzes. Oh, my favorite Kahoot, and this is always uh, really fun, is Composer or Pasta. Highly oh. recommend. Check that one out. Yes! <laughs> oh my god, so clever. These quiz show style games that don't involve playing instruments can also be a great formative assessment tool mm-hmm. or sub plan. I definitely learned a lot when I did one of these quizzes and a bunch of kids couldn't identify what forte meant. Okay. Where the frog was. Formative assessment. Yep. So I mean, it kind of shines a light on your own teaching as well. (laughs) Internet-based games could be a whole other episode. Mm -hmm. But for now, let's move on to our next category which is sneaky assessment games. And I mean, honestly, like a lot of the stuff we've talked about so far can be a sneaky assessment totally. game. Totally, yep. But here are some ones that are even more specific to listening to you know, individuals or duos uh, playing. And so the first one, I love this, it's Stand and Deliver. And I feel like it's just kind of an old school, like when people were asked to recite poetry or something in class, it just kind of reminds me of that, even though I never was asked to do that. Mm -hmm. It's just like old school. And so this is where a student selects one of four options to play something. And this can be tailored to the level that you're teaching, like play this measure or play this excerpt or play this short beginner exercise or just play the note B flat. Hmm. The options are, there's four, play it yourself, pick a partner to play it with you, choose someone else, and teacher plays. And I put multiples of these cards in a basket, but you could actually make a deck of cards if you want, or even a wheel of destiny. Yeah, right there. Yep, yep. So it makes it more random. And so we we do have to be mindful of students' feelings about playing in front of their peers. Yes. You know, so the first round I'm like, okay, you know, if you don't wanna play, that's fine. But more often than that, students are like, oh, all right, I'll play. And that yeah. just kind of speaks to the rapport that you've built with them beforehand. So I really wouldn't plan this in like the first, I don't know, month of school. Sure, right. And I think like the idea that they can sort of phone a friend, quote unquote, that's yeah. that's language I use in my classroom a lot. Like, oh, you don't know the answer to this? Well, can you phone a friend? And their friend will be waving their hand frantically in their face. <laughs> and so that they kind of have an out in a way. I like this idea, Jessica, because they can show what they know, or they can buddy up and show what they know, or they can defer to someone who is willing to show. I like that a lot. Yeah. Another one is talent show, which is basically show us what you know. It's your time to show off. And we really celebrate like, woo, it's talent show. And a lot of kids in my beginner classes are just dying to play in front of the class. Cause that's, that's a testament to you though, Jessica. I don't teacher. know. I think so. I, I think well. so. All right. That's nice of you. <laughs> but I mean, like, think about it. You've, you've just been learning something for a month and now all of a sudden you're invited to show what you know. And I don't know about you, but kids like to show off to each other. And so this can actually be a really good thing and it can be used as informal assessment and you can keep track of who has showed what. Mm. And you know, the teacher can show talent too if there's no volunteers, you know, I'll, I'll say, hey, it's talent show. Does anyone want to go? Nobody raises their hand. Like, <laughs> All right, fine, I will go and I'll play something. And then inevitably, a kid will raise their hand to go next. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's sweet. 
From here, we're going to move on to rehearsal remix strategies. So this is, you know, I teach secondary music and I think so much of what we do is rehearsal time. And it's really easy to sit back and just say, we're just going to play it till it's right. So one way to gamify that sort of rehearsal strategy is a group instruction sort of technique outlined in an article entitled High School Orchestra's New Ideas and Old Reminders for the New School Year. So when there are issues in a passage where the whole group is rehearsing and slow practice isn't fixing it, the article states that we should change it. So that might mean if it's an arco section, we play it pizzicato. Mm. Or if it's all eighth notes, we change the articulation to a swing rhythm. Long, short, long, short, long, short, long. And then, then we do it again, but this time we're going to reverse the swing rhythm. We'll make it short, long, short, long, short, long. Works really well for repeated eighth note passages. Any way to get them to play it more and in a different style still counts as practice. And it's more fun and everyone kind of laughs at themselves when they realize how hard it is. The glory of that, when you take an isolated section and make it harder rhythmically, for example, or articulation-wise, it has a sneaky way of making the original actually feel easier. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, that's just, that's something that I would do in my private lessons growing sure. up. Sure, yeah. I like to break students into small groups with emojis, and I call them emoji groups. And this is just a snazzier way of counting off to make groups of four, five, or six. But what's different is that there is a physical quarter sheet of paper that I pass out that they tape into their folder and they have for several weeks so I don't have to keep printing these little sheets every class. Hmm. For groups of four, the sheet has four cycles, with each cycle having a unique emoji in a cluster of four. And so if I call out cycle one, there are even numbers of students in those four groups. And we identify those groups ahead of time by saying, who is a tiger? Raise your hand high, no bent arms. Or who is an elephant? Or who is a lion? And so on. So if kids can see who is in their group and they know who's playing with them. I also like to change the emojis depending on the time of the year you know, because I'm all about holidays and all that stuff, or maybe it's just my current mood. <laughs> like the one time we had mythical animals and another time we had various iterations of the hearts in emoji. Mm. You'd be surprised how many hearts are really in emoji. <laughs> yes. So what if students forget their folder or they lose their quarter sheet? Well, as not only an orchestra teacher, but a life coach, I give those students a weird emoji to encourage them to be prepared <laughs> oh. <laughs> and avoid the gentle humiliation of being lips or a Japanese goblin. <laughs> what? Okay. I'm serious. Okay. So if you ever peruse the Google emoji list like I do, you will find the emojis are named. Wow. No idea. Okay. I know. It's amazing. We will link it in the show notes. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> so all, all these things we're talking about with like increasing student skill via games led me to an article from the American String Teacher Journal called Muscle Ship, the Overlooked Foundational Element of String Instrument Performance Technique. It's a very long title. Hmm. But it says the following. After an adolescent has had a period of rapid growth, he or she may display a temporary loss of coordination and often some pain as the soft tissue accumulates the new bone length. Teachers working with students ages 8 to 20, that's us, Ooh, right, mm -hmm. should devote several minutes to technical exercises that specifically target the upper chest region of the body 
to develop these muscles. The article then goes on to say, supporting muscles of the trunk are integral to the bow stroke and that core strength is vital. Now, when I read this, Jessica, all I think is like you having students poke each other in the back for not but regardless helping students understand that the progress over time is important too i think is really what we're getting at with some of these games well yeah i celebrate that they've played for a minute and 15 seconds without stopping and maybe the next time i'm like wow you played for two whole minutes without stopping yeah you just have to we i think we forget that that it is like a muscle development process because we've been playing for most of our lives, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So one really easy way to combat the core problem is to have students sit with their backs away from the back of the chair. But Jessica has a really great idea to address the necessary muscle development and proper technique training because like just telling students to sit up tall is not really feasible all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we are athletes, right? Yes, we, are... you and we like to identify as athletes. Yes, yes. <laughs> we just ran seven miles today. I know. <laughs> not well, but we did. We did it. <laughs> and so, you know, in that thread, I started incorporating an exercise regimen for beginner strings mm. called Strings Strength Training. And when I roll this out, I ask the question flat out to the class. Why would we do exercises in strings class? And and kids totally know that it's to allow us to play longer, not be uncomfortable. You know, just use the analogy, you wouldn't run a marathon without going for a jog first. Mm. Our muscles are not used to holding a pose for an extended amount of time. So these exercises will help you play with less pain. I have a real personal connection to strength training and violin playing because I didn't realize the importance of this until college when my shoulders and neck would literally seize up repeatedly in painful knots after hours of violin playing and I was miserable and I didn't know why. Mm-hmm. And then I started going to the gym. I did do throughout high school, but stopped freshman year when I was aimlessly wandering around and yeah. getting used to college life. And after I started going, the pain went away and I was like, oh, of course, this makes total sense. So I am imparting that onto my students is something that I really believe in and that actually works. So some sample exercises are the following, and I would also encourage you to just look them up on YouTube because I'm sure my explanations are not super technical, <laughs> but you know, wall push-ups or real push-ups if the floor in your classroom isn't totally gross. <laughs> you mean if you don't share it with the band students? Yeah. That's what you mean. Spit valves. <laughs> Ew. There's also peck deck, which is something where you open your arms in a cactus pose and then you close them together. Like you go open and close and open and close. And keeping those arms up really does develop those muscles. Doing a T raise and you can do added arm circles, tricep dips and any other upper body exercise you can think of like shadow boxing. And I assign these as homework too. Like you have to do 10 push-ups for homework. Yeah, that's great. Kids are like, what? I'm like, yeah. You do everything. So here we are into our real talk session as if we haven't been talking real. Yeah, right. (laughs) Already. (laughs) But here's kind of our, you know, unless your undergraduate experience was rich with innovative lessons and visionary professors, you will likely fall back on how you learn something in orchestra and teaching it that way. It's clear why we need to mix it up because we are trying to create more on-ramps for kids to access orchestra from different cultural backgrounds than us. School culture has changed from when we were kids. Mm -hmm. And so these strategies reflect 
a new generation of learners, what they value and what their access point is. We can't just tell them to do something anymore and to be a good little student. You know, we have to trick them into learning. Right. And tricking them into learning is playing the long game, right? As kids, I think you and I were so starry eyed for strings. It obviously spoke to us. We made it our careers Mm -hmm. on that on ramp, if you will. So sometimes no matter how much we gamify something, children will still drag their feet. Learning an instrument is a long game. And in our instant gratification technology world, we have to get creative to make every would-be painstaking step enjoyable, right? Tori, we keep it moving. We aren't dwelling too much in the details, at least with beginners. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, along this vein of being just really transparent about the struggle of learning an instrument, I came up with Strings Mountain this year for beginners because I've always seen this moment that students get to after a month or two of playing where the novelty has worn off, physical comfort has set in, and they wanna quit. And I actually remember this moment myself when I learned the violin. This metaphor just helps kids know what to expect about strings, that it will be uncomfortable until you get over the and your body adjusts. So imagine a mountain off in the distance, surrounded by mist, (laughs) looming high in the sky. Guess what? We are gonna go climb that mountain this year in strings. (gasps) Go tell everyone, go tell your family, go tell your grandma. What does it look like at the bottom? Like in the foothills, you know, not too challenging, just kind of hiking along, noticing the trees and rocks, but once we get higher, it's kind of steeper, right? Ow, my legs are burning, my body isn't used to this, wait. Now there's snow? I have to climb through snow? Oh gosh, this sucks. I just wanna go home. I'm done. Wait, my team is here to help me? Hmm. Everyone feels like this too? Okay, so it's not just me. You know, can someone give me a hand? Okay, now it's a little easier when I have a buddy with me. Look, there's another teammate who needs help. I bet they were struggling just like me. Let's go help them to get to the top. Now we're at the top. Wow, look how far up we are. Look how far we came. Gosh, getting down is gonna be so easy now that I know what to expect on this mountain. So there, end scene. (laughs) Well done, Jessica. (laughs) So I actually made a bulletin board where students physically move a little mountain climber that they've cut out and colored and I've Mm. laminated them all along the mountain every few months. And you can only say that you're at the top if strings feels like it's getting easier, which means they are past that quitting point and it is less physically painful. Mm, We're gonna link this, yes? Yes. Show notes, great. Yes, oh, there's a slide. There, as an aside, there's a slideshow that goes along with this that I didn't even make because I pitched this to my other string teacher friend and she went, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And then all of a sudden she has a slideshow. Perfect. So we're stealing her work? Yep. Okay, fantastic. Constant stealing of work. That's what we do. Yep, no shame. So, <laughs> you know, I think in in one of the fifth grade classrooms that I teach in, this, you know, this concept of Strings Mountain is also known as the learning pit. So it's basically an inversion of Strings Mountain. So I don't think this concept is necessarily new, but it just kind of made sense to me as far as being a string player. And so when we gamify orchestra, you create a culture in your classroom that promotes a safe space and diffuses anxiety and tension because it's a game. Mm -hmm. In this way, you're not singling them out, not making it punitive. It's a different feel in the classroom. I mean, one that I'm not typically used to in in my own experience, and probably you aren't either. No. 
And so kids are more adept at expressing themselves. Within that safe zone, you can start talking about things in orchestra that help them in other areas of life, strings, mountain, the learning pit, whatever, they're tools to help kids persevere when things are overwhelming. So you as a teacher are more validated by your colleagues as a result of this class culture and transfer of learning. So next time we are excited to talk about advocacy. Yeah, yeah. Making your class seen as essential to stakeholders and administrators. Yeah, and that tends to be something a lot of people struggle with. So I'm excited for that, Jessica. In the meantime, thanks for listening to our episode about games for group instruction. Feel free to send us some feedback. You can reach out at teachingorchestrapod at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at teachingorchestrapod. We'll see you next time.